Let me pray now. Father, we thank you for this time now and we pray that you would help us as we look at these words to hear what you, your, what you are saying to us today as we seek to know Jesus and uh, trust in him more for ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a recent survey commissioned by Tear Fund um, found that during COVID-19, prayer in the UK has gone up uh, considerably among the general population. Nearly half of the adults in the UK say they have prayed or that they do indeed pray. Um, but the good question to all of us when we pray is, what do we think we're doing when we do that? Is prayer just sitting in silence? You know, what other people would call meditating? Is it, uh, is it presenting a shopping list? You know, here are the things, God, that I would like you to sort. Please protect my family, help me to honour you at work, protect my health, help me find a parking space, or whatever it might be. Uh, amongst the general population, if we did a bit of digging, I'm sure we would find a great deal of confusion about what praying and prayer actually are. But are Christians any better? Do we know how and why to pray? Do we know what to say? Do we easily become discouraged if, for example, we pray for a specific thing to our Heavenly Father who we believe loves us and cares for us and what we pray for doesn't happen maybe the opposite happens maybe that makes us wonder well hang on what's the point then well hannah who we heard in the in this reading was somebody who struggled in prayer we heard last week she was struggling in particular with childlessness which remains a very difficult and painful issue for people today it can affect couples in obvious ways it can affect singles as well in different ways. Maybe we struggle like her or maybe we struggle with other things like singleness or indeed with marriage or grief or loneliness or fear for the future. Like Hannah, if we are Christian people, we may have come before God with tears. Maybe those prayers have been answered or maybe it feels at least that they haven't. And the thing is, you can have two people who pray just as earnestly for their heart's desire with just as much faith and trust in God, just as much humility, just as much love, just as much as Hannah, and one receives what they ask for and the other doesn't. And very often that challenges us and we think, well, why doesn't God answer my prayer? Does it mean I don't have enough faith? Does it mean God doesn't like me for some reason? Well, Last week we heard Hannah pray. First of all, she cried out to God in tears. And now we hear her pray a longer prayer. And it has a lot to teach us about what prayer is and how to do it. It, it, it so happens that at face value, God answered Hannah's prayer by giving her what she asked for. By this point in, in chapter 2, she has given birth to a son called Samuel. But the point of this is not to learn some technique for getting what we want when we pray, as if God is a kind of slot machine and you could you know, insert the correct prayer in the slot and your desired goodies will drop from the sky to be collected. No, that isn't the point at all. The point is instead is to learn what Hannah understands and teaches here about God and his character, which in turn will help us as we pray. 
So, first of all, she prays to the God who cannot be compared. When uh, Hannah prayed in chapter 1, she had been deeply distressed and she wept bitterly. But now she is full of joy and delight. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted high, she says. That's a slightly strange image for the 21st century, but it's a, it's a kind of animal metaphor of the victorious rhinoceros or, or something like that uh, that's holding its head high after victory. And it's not her victory, it's God's victory which makes her boast over her enemies. I delight in your deliverance, Lord, your, your salvation, that word could be. Now, anybody who's experienced a turnaround in circumstances like Hannah um, you know, they might agree that there's plenty to rejoice about. You know, and think of Hannah. She's had all these taunts from her rival, Penina, we saw last week in chapter 1, and the misery that she's endured, and, and, and finally that's come to an end. But even, even with all that in mind, and a big turnaround of circumstances, isn't she possibly overdoing it with this language here of salvation, deliverance? It seems a little bit exaggerated for, you know, the birth of a child, until you remember spoke of her misery in language that was like Israel's misery in slavery in Exodus. So her experience kind of mirrored the experience of the people of Israel crying out in slavery and pain. And now she's speaking in language of salvation in very similar way to how Moses and Miriam sang of God's victory in, in Exodus chapter 15. So she's kind of doing the Exodus story, but in her own life. She's using the same language, the same uh, terminology. So we're seeing, as we saw last time, if you were here, this isn't just a story about Hannah, this is a story of the people of God. And like Moses and Israel in the time of the Exodus, her faith is in a God who is unlike any other God of any other nation. So verse 2, there is no one holy besides the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. See, God goes in his own category, the category of the living God who alone can act to save his people. So this is why Christians pray, not because there's some magic power in prayer in and of itself, but because of who we get to pray to in union with Jesus, the Son of God. We get to pray to the God of salvation who is unlike anyone else. See, prayer is about where our hope is. What is our hope now? If our hope is merely well, that a vaccine would be found in a, in a timely manner or that the job situation would work out positively or, you know, we'd be able to pass the exams or wh whatever it is. If that is our hope, in the end, we're going to be disappointed. But prayer is saying, no, I can't put my hope in those things, but I will put my hope in the God who cannot be compared. So that's the first thing she does. She goes and puts her hope in, in God. And then, and then she continues in prayer, secondly, to the God who shatters pride. So verse, 
verses 3 to 8. The God who shatters pride. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows. Now, what is this about him knowing? It's often said, isn't it, knowledge is power. Particularly, I think, today in the 21st century. Knowledge is power. And if I know things about you... I have power over you. So we fear, you know, the, the government or the wrong people getting hold of our personal data because then they will know and then they will have power and I can potentially control you or whatever. But what if I claim to know your personal future? That would be even worse, wouldn't it? Because then I would have that sense of power over you. You don't know the future and I'm saying I do. Actually, if you think about it, a lot of human arrogance and pride comes down to an individual claiming to know more than they actually do about a situation or a person. And that's what makes them puff themselves up in pride. But, no, the Lord is the God who knows. Verse 3, he knows. And of course he does. He created everyone. He created everything. See, put him alongside the latest TV talking head or guru or statesman or column writer. They're totally worthless next to the God who knows. And the God who knows turns fortunes upside down that is the substance then of verses four to eight he breaks the bow while those who stumbled are armed with strength the fool go hungry while the hungry are filled the barren woman has borne seven children but the one with many sons passes away he brings death and he makes alive he brings down and he raises up do you see poverty and wealth all reversed do you get the point she's saying that god has the power to turn everything upside down he's the boss he's in control Wealth comes from him, so does poverty. Our lives and our deaths are in his hands. Now, often we instinctively shy away from wanting to think of God in these terms, that, you know, that he's sovereign, as the theologians call it. And yet, Hannah and, and the rest of the Bible are clear that this is why we can pray to our Heavenly Father, because he's in control, because he is sovereign. That's why it's worth. That's why we can bring our requests to him precisely because he is in total control. We're not praying to someone who's just sort of looking on as another helpless observer like us. Well, I wish I could help, but, you know, I can't. No, that, that's not the God of the universe. See, so often in life we, we, we plead with those who we think might be able to help us in a particular situation. You know, we, we go to our MP or we go to the government or maybe we go to doctors or go to lawyers and, and you know, sometimes they can help a little bit. But sometimes the reply comes back. I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do. This is out of our hands. But that's not true with God. His knowledge of every situation we encounter is inexhaustible. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the tears and the frustrations and the sadnesses. And he has the power to turn these things upside down. And so he shatters the pride of those who think they can do without him. 
That's what Hannah is saying and praying. But then what about when that doesn't happen even though we pray? What about when it seems that those who are proud continue to win? Well, we'll come to that. But before that, we need to see the third and final aspect of Hannah's prayer as she prays in verses 9 to 11 to the God who will win in the end. The God who will win in the end. There are three things in view here. There is a winning side, there is a losing side, and there is a king in these last three verses. The world says the winners are the powerful, the healthy, the strong, the secure, the famous, the popular, the wealthy. God says what matters in the end is one thing. Can you see that in verse 9? He will guard the feet of his saints. Verse, uh, verse 10, it's not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will give strength to his king. He will exalt the horn of his anointed. What matters in the end is whether we are faithful, whether we're trusting him. It's either one or the other. You're either trusting him or you're not. You're either on his side or you are, as what these verses call, the wicked. And verse 10, it's not wise to be in that category, to set yourself against the Lord. If we're in any doubt about that, we just have to read on in 1 Samuel and see this played out in action. But this then takes us to the climax, to a prophecy of a king, an anointed one. Verse 10 which is a slightly odd thing to say in, in the context of there being no king in Israel. So remember the end of the book of Judges? In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did as, he, as they saw pleased. So, you know, we come to this at the end of Hannah's prayer and we're, and we're supposed to go, well, hang on a minute, who is this favoured, anointed king? I thought there wasn't anyone like that in Israel. And here she is praying and saying he will give strength to his king. And exalt the horn again of his anointed. Well, the implication is that, that, that Israel will find the solution to her problems, her lack of leader. But we have to read on and see what shape that will take. So Hannah prays to the God who cannot be compared, the God who shatters pride, the God who will win in the end. This is a God who is utterly able to hear and answer our prayers when we pray to him. But as we come to a close then, if that is true, people sometimes say, well, why bother praying? If he already knows, why tell him? If he's going to do it anyway, why ask him? And furthermore, if he could do it, why doesn't he? Well, there's a technique for catching monkeys in the jungle. I don't know if you're familiar with this. It goes like this. You get a, a jar or a vase with a thin neck and uh, you put something precious inside, like a, like a banana or a particularly unusual and attractive nut or shiny stone. And the monkey works out that this treasure or this thing that it really wants, like the banana, is in the vase. And he puts his hand in the vase and he grips onto the banana and he clenches his fist because he is desperate for that banana. But the vase has a thin neck. And when his fist is clenched, well, he can't get it out of the vase. And he pulls 
and he pulls, but he can't get it off. And this is a big, heavy vase, and so he's stuck there in the middle of the jungle with his hand inside a vase, desperate to get away with it, but he can't, and so he's there, and he's caught by the banana inside the jar. He's a prisoner because he will not let go of the treasure that he longs for. What does he have to do? If he wants to be free, he just has to let go, doesn't he? If he lets go, his hand will come out of the jar and off he goes, but he won't. I'm told that's what monkeys are like, apparently. But there is a little picture about prayer in these verses. You see, very often we approach prayer like the monkey. We say, you know, here's the, here's the thing that I want and I won't let go of it. I will hold on to it until I get it. But Hannah's prayer, even as she's been given what she's asked for, she's reminding us that God is the God of infinite power and possibility. And that means that we don't need to kind of hold on to what we're longing for at all costs. We can trust him. We know that he loves us, that he knows us better, and we know ourselves, and so therefore we can place what we're asking for in his hands. We can let it go, and we can give it to him. His response may be, in his goodness and kindness, to give us what we're asking for, or his response may be to give us something completely different, something totally unexpected, because his concern isn't simply to give us what we want, but to shatter human pride, to bring about his plan for his people, in his world and like the monkey we may say well I can't do without this thing I need it desperately but God says let it go and give it to me in prayer and then see what happens see we so often think that prayer is just asking for stuff and if we don't get the stuff it's not working but this is this is reminding us prayer is is as much about giving God our desires and leaving them with him as it is about asking him to give us what we desire. So I think of my pastor friend who's living with an incurable brain tumour. And he and his family have been praying, Lord, take this thing away. Well, of course they've been praying that. But more than that, my friend himself has been able to do what we're talking about here, not simply to say it's cure or bust, but to say I've given this to God. And do you know what? I have experienced God at work in my life in ways I could never have imagined before I got a brain tumor. That's the kind of thing that he is telling people. Now, of course, he'd never, you know, he'd never have woken up one day and said, well, you know, that, this is what I need in my life. You know, if God could take away or would take away the brain tumor, he'd, he'd be delighted. But he's even more delighted to know that he is getting to know God better day by day and seeing God at work in his life in ways that he could never have expected. Do you see what that is a reminder of? It says we can trust him with our deepest desires. It's in his hands. See, the answer to Hannah's prayer was far more than this child that she was weeping for in chapter 1. She'd begun to see that in her child was the beginning of a turnaround for the people of Israel. Generations later, we heard briefly in the, in the second reading, Mary prayed a very similar sounding prayer to God her Saviour, who is mighty 
and holy, who scatters the proud, who's exalted the humble, whose mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And that child that Mary prayed about at the beginning of Luke's gospel would turn the world upside down. See, in the face of our deepest frustrations and hurts and sadnesses and fears and much else besides, Jesus is the king that we need and that God's people need. So let's leave behind the shopping list and let's give our desires to God and see where he takes us. Let me pray now. Father, thank you that in the face of our deepest desires for ourselves and for our lives and for our loved ones and those around us, in all these things, thank you that we can trust you. Not simply just to give us what we want, but we can trust you to be working in our lives and the lives of those around us to make us more like Jesus if we're trusting in you. To include us in your plan. To include us in your people. To make us ready for eternity with you. And with those deep desires that shape us and that can have such a hold over us at times, may we give those things to you and trust you with them because you are the God who cannot be compared. There is none besides you. There is no rock like you. May we trust in you. May we not forget that you shatter human pride self-sufficiency may we see that in ourselves and may we confess it and may we come back to you for forgiveness when we see that and thank you though that we can trust that you will win in the end that if we're trusting you we're on the right side that nothing in the end can harm us that nothing can separate us from your love may we know that with confidence May that affect our prayers. May it affect our lives. And especially if there's anyone who's yet to put their trust in Jesus and take that first step, I pray that you'd show them what it means to do that so that they too might be able to live in relationship with you, trusting you with their whole lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.